welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we go continue through our series of the Gospel of Matthew, the Savior King and His Kingdom. We've been in a section of Matthew that's referred to as the Beatitudes. And these eight Beatitudes that we're going through one at a time describe what a Christian is supposed to be. So if we're walking faithfully in the kingdom of God, these are the, the character traits that should be present in our lives. Some degree of them. No, none of us have them mastered. We are all in a, we're in a, in a work in progress. We're all trying to be better at these character traits, but we should be able to see evidences of these character traits in our lives. Now what these these Beatitudes do not tell us is how to become a Christian. That's not what they're about. It tell, it, 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 they presume that someone is a Christian. So if someone is a Christian, then we look for these things. You don't have to find these things for someone to be a Christian. Does that make sense? You don't have to check off these eight things. Okay, now you're a Christian kind of a thing. Because if we had to do that, how many of us would become Christians? None of us. Well, there might be one or two of you here that are pretty awesome, but the rest of us aren't. Yeah, as an example of, of kind of how this concept works, if I were to describe Kelly and I's dog to you, I would assume that you know what a dog is, right? I mean, I, I, could, I, could, assume, I could presume that. Okay, you know what a dog is, and then I could go through my description, and based on my description, you would get a pretty good idea what that looks like. Well, you don't need to be a dog to understand my description of what a dog is. But to be a Christian, to understand a description of a Christian, you need to be a Christian. You have to be a believer to understand when somebody describes to you what a Christian is. Because it is a spiritual reality. It's not, a, it's not a physical reality. It's not a carnal reality. It's not, it's not something that necessarily manifests in the, in the world. It, it ultimately should. We're going to talk about that. It should manifest in the world, but that's not, how we dis, that's not where the description comes from. The description comes from what we are. And, and Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says this, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, an unbeliever is not going to understand these character traits of a believer. They're not going to really be able to understand them because it won't make sense to them. 
these things that we talk about. They don't make human sense. They make spiritual sense. And for them to be, make spiritual sense, you need to have the Spirit of God. To have the Spirit of God, you need to have Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. You need to be a believer. You need to be a Christian. Now, that's not to say that all believers have it all figured out, right? Can we say that we don't all have it, we don't have it all figured out? We are still trying to go through this process to learn these things. But we understand enough to be able to look at these things and then understand that we are woefully deficit in many of them, if not all of them, and that we need God to help us. The Beatitudes describe what a Christian is more than what a Christian does. That's important. Uh, Kevin was sharing with me this morning that the guys yesterday morning had a conversation about works versus faith, works and faith. You know, that's a fascinating conversation, and the reality is that we, if we spend any time with it, we might get, okay, wh- okay, which one comes first, works or faith? And my answer is yes. They're, they are so connected, you can't really separate them. If you have faith, then there's going to be works. If you're doing works, it's going to produce faith. And if, you're, if your faith is growing, your works, it just, it go, it's just this circle, this cycle that happens in our lives that we have to understand that. And we talk about the Beatitudes. Most of them, th- th- there's an element of that in the second half of them which we're going to get into today. We're going to start in the second half of the Beatitudes today. And so it's, understand for us, for, it's important for us to understand it's, it's the Beatitudes are not so much about what we do, but who we are. And if we are what we say we are, then we ought to be looking for evidences of these things. And if they're not present, okay, there are probably some works that we can do to help to grow these things so that they are what they are. But it's not about what we're doing. It's about what we are, Okay. Each beatitude begins with, her, with the word blessed, which can also be translated um, and has the meaning of approved, approved by God. And so when God approves of our lives, then there's a blessing that's attached to that. That makes sense. When God is happy with your life, he's going to bless you in some way. He's going to do something good in your life. We should, just, we should just recognize that's the kind of God that we have. He is the father of all good gifts, right? They come down from him, from heaven. And when, we, when we're living those lives, when we are those people that these Beatitudes describe, then we should expect to be blessed. And we should look forward to it. We don't do it for that reason, but it's the fruit of being what God created us to be. And we're going to hear, we're going to talk about that a lot as we move forward, this idea that we don't do these things for the blessing. We do them because we are blessed. That's why we are what we are, because we are blessed. Because we are blessed, we do certain things. It's the, it's the outcome. It's the, it's the outworking of our faith, We're also going to say, if there isn't an outworking of our faith, that could be a problem, right? If faith works and nothing is working, then we might have to think about that. So let's pray. And we'll uh, ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live lives that are more blessable before God. Blessable is not a word. I made it up just for this message. Heavenly Father, 
We come thanking you, Lord, for this morning, for this opportunity to, to open up your word. And we pray as we, as we prepare to do that, that you would open up our hearts and minds. And while you, you brought us this place at this time, or, or somebody, those who are watching online, um, there are so many things that might distract us. I can remember the, the, the few times that I've sat at home watching. It's not always easy to stay connected to the message. There's so many things that distract, like the dog. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just still our hearts and minds to be at absolute peace with you right now, that we might hear your word. And Lord, I, I offer myself up as a messenger. Lord, I know in and of myself I have nothing to offer but through the power of your Holy Spirit, the, the, the love of God and, the, and the, the gifts of Christ, that Lord God, you can communicate your word to your people right now. And we ask that you do it and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So there are eight Beatitudes. The first four focus on the spiritual reality of a believer in their relationship to and their relationship with God. And so they, they, all four of them kind of are, are about how we relate to God, how we, how we relate in faith. The fifth one and the ones moving forward are going to focus more on our relationship as believers with others. And so there's this, this up and out kind of relationship going on. And we're going to see that as we go through this. The first four deal with our own perception of what is not perfect in us. Can any of us agree that we're not perfect? That, that there's probably some work that needs to get done in us and God wants to do that. And, and so, but, but part of the way that God does it is he makes us aware of it. If we're not aware that God needs to do some work in us, we may not cooperate him, with him the way that we, that we should so that we can grow in those things because God does involve us with him. He does all the heavy lifting. He does all the hard work, but he, doesn't, he does draw us into that process. And there are things that we do to help grow our faith. The ones that we see going forward here, starting with this one, is, is, the, is the, the positive outworking of our faith. If our faith is real, it should be working. Something should be coming out of us that is an evidence of our faith. The first four cause people to have a right view of self, that we look at ourselves and we say, okay, I... I I have nothing to offer God. I bring nothing to him. And, and, that, and, it, and that humbles me before him. And that brings me to this place of, of, of absolute humility and, and, and utter dependence upon God as I realize just how not God I am. The second four, the first one, caused me to have an honest look at myself, the second four describe selflessness. It describes how to function in the world selflessly. Now the world seeks satisfaction through all sorts of weird and bizarre and usually perverse ways. And they, and they often, even the ones that aren't perverse, they're, they're doing it to enhance their own existence. 
to make their lives better, to be happy, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled, to be whatever it is that they are personally looking for. And so, they, and so they, that's, that's how they view the world and the world around them. But we were created differently than that. We were created to seek to enhance the existence of others. In fact, people look for satisfaction by making their lives better when in reality God created us to, make, to be more satisfied by making somebody else's life better. That's how he created us. And when we get into this mode of, of, of forgetting about our stuff and looking to the needs and wants of others around us, the suffering around us, the, the hardship around us, the, the brokenness around us, and we seek to be used by God to do something about it, that's where we find satisfaction. Well, that doesn't happen immediately because sometimes you can do that and you think, oh, well, that was a waste of time. It takes a, it's a process. We learn how to act selflessly. We're not like Christ yet. So we're going to look at one of those today. We're going to look at one of these outworkings of faith today, and that is in verse 7, the, the fifth beatitude, and it says this. In verse 7, it says this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Again, we, we want to remind ourselves that the beatitudes are not about how to be saved. They're what people do once they are saved. It's, this is what believers are. This is, what, this is how their faith works out of them. And we also have to understand that none of the Beatitudes can be divorced from the others. You can't just pick one and say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus entirely on mercy. I'm gonna be merciful. I'm not gonna worry about the rest of them. Not gonna think about them. Not gonna try to be better than any of them. I'm just gonna be merciful. And there's one little problem with that. It doesn't work. They are all connected. Matter of fact, if you're not actively practicing the first four, the fifth one is useless to you. You won't do it. You won't do it right. You know, you can be merciful, but in the wrong way. Yes, you can. Each of them is connected to the other. Listen, someone who is merciful but is not humbled before God or is not seeking his righteousness, his mercy is useless. Now, it may give some temporary relief to someone, but it's not the mercy that God's looking for. It's not the mercy that will bring glory to his name. It's not the mercy that will bring us the blessing that we're hoping for. Now, we also need to make that distinction between mercy and grace. We hear these two combined or, or, or mentioned together frequently. We see them in the scriptures often together. But they're two different things. Grace is shown to the undeserving. The, the, someone who doesn't deserve it, just God, boop, here, have this. You don't deserve it, but have this. Mercy really focuses on a, on a particular reality in humanity, and that is um, it, it defined as to give help to the wretched, to relieve the miserable. It's about relieving suffering. It's about, it's about meeting real needs that people have. That's what mercy is. 
And, and, it, and it, it's associated with compassion. Often the, the two of them are used together. Mercy and compassion are used together. You know, that, that compassion is often described as an emotional response to other people's suffering or their need. It can be used as a synonym for mercy. Compassion is. But as in all of the Beatitudes, it's not about feeling. We do not have to feel compassion to be merciful. It would be good if you did. That would be very Christ-like if you did, but you don't have to feel compassion. And feeling compassion isn't necessary, doesn't necessarily mean that God is calling you to an act of mercy. God would tell you, if we are faithful, if we are seeking him, if we're following him, he'll tell us what he's calling us to do. It's not about feelings. Mercy does require action. Mercy is an action thing. It's an active response to the circumstances around us. It's what a compassionate person does to the person that they're having compassion on. If, if somebody, look, they look at somebody and they're, they're suffering, they're having a hard time, they, they, their response is mercy, not feeling something, doing something. If, if, you, if you have a compassionate feeling about somebody, I mean, let's just use an example, Arnie. We love Arnie. Arnie is a part of our family, the church family. He's been a char- part of the church family for a long time. And he's, he's going through a tough time right now. He is in a place of suffering right now. Okay, just sitting here and saying, oh, poor Arnie. That does nothing. That, that's, that's a feeling, but it's not mercy. Mercy says, what can I do to bring some relief to a suffering? What can I do? Not, 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 not what, not what is, you know, Gene going to do, not what is, what is, you know, JJ going to do, but what can I do apart from anyone else? Matter of fact, they don't, nobody else even needs to know what I'm doing. What can I do that might relieve the suffering that he's going through right now? Why do we do it? Why is mercy something that we as believers ought to practice? Well, it's kind of suggested it's probably the right thing for us to do in the scriptures. That probably makes it a you know, pretty good idea. But we have also received mercy. How much mercy? A lot. We've, re- we've received more mercy than anyone, than, than, than we will ever be able to match. We don't extend mercy. In this particular beatitude, there is a a blessing that's attached to the, the, a promise that is attached to the beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be, they shall obtain mercy. So, so if we're merciful, then we can, we can expect mercy back. But we don't do it for that reason. Matter of fact, you should never do anything for the promised blessing, it should always be an outworking of faith. It should always be something we do because. Why should I extend mercy to somebody? Because I have received mercy. 
And I should extend mercy to the degree that I've received mercy. Has God ever taken care of me when I'm suffering? Has he, ever, has he ever met my need when my need was great? Has he ever been there when I couldn't take care of myself or I couldn't do what I needed to do? Has he ever, has he ever shown me mercy in any way? And if, I, if, I, and if you can't answer yes to that, it, that's a problem. But once you acknowledge that, you say, okay, Okay, I need to respond because God has done this to me. As a natural byproduct of my relationship with God, I ought to be like Jesus. Jesus, I mean, I mean he was a pretty merciful guy, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was the perfect example of mercy. I need to model that. I need to, I need to do as much like that as I possibly can. Obviously, I have, I have a different you know, different life. And so I'm going to do it differently than Jesus did, but I need to try to do it a lot, as much as I can, as much as the Spirit leads me to. We extend mercy because we have received mercy. And then, because we extend mercy, because we, we've received mercy, we can expect more mercy. And it goes right back around again and again and again and again. Each of the first four Beatitudes is evidence of God's mercy on us. If you, if you spend some time, you look at it and you say, that's God's mercy, that's God's mercy, that's God's over and over and over again. And in fact, there is nothing you can do in this life there is no character trait of God, of Christ. There is no obedience. None of the things are, these things are possible apart from God's mercy. If God had not been merciful to us, we could do nothing of any value, of any importance, of anything. In Psalm 18.25, again, the, the, kind of the, the Old Testament promise of the same the same verse it says this with the merciful you will show yourself merciful which comes first well it implies that the merciful me being merciful comes first but in reality as we understand it in the new testament mercy comes first mercy at the mercy of god comes first then i am merciful then god is merciful again and then what do i do i'm merciful and he's merciful and it goes around and around and around. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. What is the primary mercy that we have received? The primary mercy that we have received is the forgiveness of sins. That God looked down upon us, and when he looked down upon us, what did he see? Sin. And when God looks upon sin, what must he do? He must judge it. And in mercy, God sent Jesus. An expression of his grace, but also an expression of his mercy. He sent his grace. He sent his, he sent his son down because he looked upon us and we are absolutely helpless. We were suffering in our sin. We might not have known that before I was saved. I didn't know that. I didn't know I was suffering. I thought I was doing pretty good. I wasn't. I was suffering. 
And in mercy, God sent Jesus to save me. When he forgives us of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the greatest mercy that any of us will ever experience. But it's not the only mercy we'll experience. All other mercies that we experience through faith are come through that, become because of that. Well, if that's the greatest mercy that we can receive, what is the greatest mercy that we can extend? The forgiveness of sins. Whose sins? Not mine. Mine are already taken care of. Whose do I take? Whose do I then extend mercy to? Those who have sinned against me. If someone has ever offended you, hurt you, betrayed you, I don't see, I don't see Mike right now, but he's probably offended because I don't like crispy bacon. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully he's getting out of this message that he needs to extend mercy to me in the form of forgiveness and the greatest example one of the greatest examples we have in scripture is Joseph you know Joseph with his brothers you know it's hard for me to imagine what that would have been like Joseph was just he's just a teenager living life loving you know his multicolored coat loving the affection of his father and then all of a sudden his 10 brothers throw him in a pit they're thinking about killing him but you know fortunately a caravan comes along you know and he gets sold into slavery to Egypt well I guess I guess that's better and he ends up as a slave and then as a prisoner and it was a, it was not an easy life for Joseph you can understand. I mean, we humanly might understand why, you know, his brothers might be a little concerned once, you know, they'd been in Egypt for a little while and, and dad's getting old, he's getting ready to die, and, you know, maybe he was the only thing standing between, between them and Joseph's judgment upon them, his wrath upon them. And so for decades, they are living under the fear that Joseph is going to punish them. And he had every right to do it. He had had all the power to do it. And so they're afraid. Joseph is going to punish them. And then dad dies. And so they, they, they respond this way. In verse 15 of Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Had they done evil to Joseph? Yes, there's no question about it. Was he, he had the power, he had the, the right to repay them for the evil they had done. They were afraid of that. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He wept. Why did Joseph weep? Because he had already forgiven them. He had already let it go. And he recognized that his brothers were suffering in the guilt for what they had done. 
For decades, they carried the burden of guilt. Verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I or am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Listen, if you're a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven. Of what? everything everything there 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 is no sin that you've ever committed or will ever commit that God that Jesus didn't die on the cross for every last one past present and future that doesn't mean it's okay for you to sin in the future don't but in case you do he died for those ones too he forgave them all which sins should we be willing to forgive all of them. All of them. That's not easy. That's not easy. Our Kent Hughes said this. The merciful person remembers his own sin and God's mercy on him. He understands the weaknesses of others and he forgives. Listen, when when we forgive others, and we need to understand something. There, 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 there are three groups or entities involved in every act of forgiveness. God, of course, is always involved in any act of forgiveness. The person that's being forgiven and the person who forgives. Very often, the greatest mercy that's been extended is not to the forgiven but to the forgiver. When we forgive others, we release the burden that we carry for their sin. The other person may not be affected at all. If they are like, like Joseph's brothers and they're carrying this burden of guilt with them, then the act of forgiveness will set them free as well. But we don't forgive just so that they can be free. We forgive so that we can be free. In a powerful teaching on forgiveness, the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus makes it clear how important forgiveness is. And, and listen, if you get nothing else out of this message, you need to understand forgiveness is the greatest mercy that, God, that you, you have received, and it's the mercy that God expects you to extend. So much so that in that parable, he, Jesus referred to unforgiveness as a great wickedness and calls into question salvation. That's a big deal. The greater the sin, the greater is the need for mercy. The greater the sin. And listen, some of you, I know... You're, you're pretty awesome and amazing people. You know, barely ever sin ever. You know, so it's no big deal. Some of us, 
We got, we got a long list of stuff that, you know, we've been guilty of in life. Yeah, as believers, we are called to judge sin as the wickedness that it is. That we're not to, we're not to justify sin. We're not to downplay sin. We're not to say, oh, 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 that's okay. No, it's not okay. It is never okay for anyone to sin, especially not for a believer to sin. We need to call sin, sin. And we need to be un, you know, unashamed about it. It is sin. And God hates it. But at the same time, we must love the sinner. And, and not only love the sinner, but be prepared to show them mercy. Especially the mercy of forgiveness. No matter how repugnant their sin is, God would say, forgive them. Do, do we have any, any powerful example of that actually taking place in the scriptures? Well, how about Jesus on the cross? I mean, how repugnant of a sin is it to nail the Savior of the world, the God the Son, to a cross which he did not deserve? How wicked is that? And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's mercy. I can't imagine a greater mercy. That's the bar, by the way. <laughs> that's the bar that he said. That, that's okay. If you get to that level, yeah, you're, doing, you're doing pretty stinking good. Yeah, most of us are going to have a hard time with that. Hey, hey. Let's, let's be real. People do things to us. People are going to do things against us. I'm still having trouble, you know, reckon, you know, showing mercy to YouTube right now, okay? <laughs> Kidding. I don't even care about them. But, you know, the, you know people do things to us. I don't, I don't have any emotional connection to YouTube, so I don't, I'm blah. But people will do things to us. And sometimes they do it just because they're just being people, doing what people do. You know, I, I rarely have anybody deliberately attack me, okay? You know, you know not physically. I, I don't think I've been physically attacked since high school. So, you know, so, you know the reality is, is that, you know, I grew up in a pretty, pretty rough neighborhood. But beyond that, you know, it just doesn't happen that much to us. But, you know, they might say something mean about us on, on, on you know, Facebook, or they might not say something nice. You know, they didn't wish me a happy birthday this year. Like, I don't even, yeah, never mind. But anyways, you know, you know we, we, we perceive these offenses and hurts, and then we hold on to them. Instead, what would God say? Mercy. Give them mercy. How much? Well, as much as I've given you. How many times have I slighted God? And not, and not thinking of him the way that I should, of allowing some wrong thought to come into my mind. He doesn't hold that against me. He wants me to repent of it, and when he does, when he reminds me of it, I repent of it, and I'm made right with him. He extends mercy. He forgives me of those things. Listen, we judge the sin, we love the sinner, and we prepare ourselves to show them mercy, whatever it takes, whatever they need, whoever they are. 
We need to ask ourselves, would I lay down my life for them that they might be saved? Or would I set my life aside to, to do something to lessen their suffering? And can I say that about anyone? Should I be able to say that about anyone? And the answer, I believe, is yes. Jesus did it for us. He did it for us when we were still wretched. And he did it for us because we were pathetic, miserable, suffering in our sin even before we knew it. To deny forgiveness is to deny mercy. And according to this beatitude, if I deny mercy, I should expect no mercy. That's kind of a downer. How much mercy do you want? All of it. All the time. It was mercy that enabled us to be forgiven of our sins. And to deny that is a great sin. James 2.13, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, putting, putting as, as fine a point on it as possible. If you don't get it, you need to understand it. Mercy is absolutely necessary in a believer's life. If it's not present in your life, you need to be seeking God because there's something wrong. And, and you cannot know God's mercy if you're not able to extend mercy. Now, 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 this whole thing, we gotta understand that, that the reality is, is that you know, this is referring to people who are withholding forgiveness on purpose. They, they're choosing not to forgive. There's the reality that sometimes the hurts are so great and so deep and so long-running maybe that we are struggling. We've forgiven them to the best of our ability, but we're struggling with the emotional element of it. We're struggling with maybe bitterness, maybe even hatred, many, many hard, wrong emotions because those hurts are real and, and the scars that are left by those hurts, they don't go away very quickly. But that's not who this is referring to because one, if you have those wrong feelings, you, you need to let God help you heal you of that because he can he can take all of those ugly feelings away. We can get to a place where we're, where we're ready to love them as God loves them. But until then, we need to recognize that God's doing that work in us. But this is dealing with people who refuse to forgive, who refuse to show mercy. They look and they see, okay, mercy is required here. They know it. Somehow in their mind, in their heart, they know mercy should be shown to this person. But I'm not doing it. I'm not going to. If you only knew what they did to me. I don't like that person. I don't like that kind of person. I don't, blah, blah, blah. That's who this verse is talking about. It's talking about those who won't do it. And they won't do it because their heart is not right. It's meant to call us. Those who refuse to forgive, who refuse to show mercy, Call us to a place of humble surrender to God. Call us to a place of repentance. Repenting. If you, if you can say there's somebody in my life I will not forgive, you need to repent because your heart's wrong. Now, prime, for, forgiveness is the primary expression of mercy, but it's not the only one. 
Again, the idea of mercy carries the idea of, of identifying with those who are suffering, those who are in great need, those who are, are going through something that is difficult, that is hard, something that's beyond them. And it could be any number of things. It could be something like what Arnie and his family are going through, or it could be an emotional thing that somebody's going through. It could be grief. It could be any number of things somebody's going through that, that would call for mercy, call for that, that expression of God's love that, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a manifested way, in some way that shows, some way that comes out. Yeah, this is exactly why Jesus came. He came to show mercy to a world that was lost, in many cases didn't know they were lost, and didn't know how to get unlost, and he came so that we could be saved, so that we could be found. He walked among us to show us how to do it. Uh, Arthur Pink describes mercifulness like this. What is mercifulness? It is a gracious disposition toward my fellow creatures and fellow Christians. It is that kindness and benevolence that feels the miseries of others. Notice that word, that feels the miseries of others. It is a spirit that regards with compassion the sufferings of the afflicted. It is that grace which causes one to deal leniently with an offender and scorn the taking of revenge. It's interesting, mercy also in the, the things that I've studied extends to more than just people. It extends to everything. You know, you know, being merciful to your animals was one of the things, one of the ways it's communicated in the scriptures. It's saying that we are to, you know, to be, we're to treat our animals rightly like creations of God. You know why? Because they are creations of God. He made them, and so we should treat them the right way. Arthur Pink also said this, the mercifulness of this fifth beatitude is that spontaneous outflow of a heart that is captivated by, in love with, the mercy of God. The better we know the mercy that God has poured out on us, when we understand God has been merciful to me, and we learn to love that, God, you have been so good to me, you've been so kind to me, you've poured out mercy upon mercy. As I list my sins, I'm trying to forget them, but as I list them out, you forgave that one, you forgave that one, you forgave that one. You met me in my need here, and you met my, me in my, in my suffering here. You've, you've done it with those around me. I see it over and over again. God, I love that. I love you because of that. When we grow, our hearts grow in that reality, then there's a natural outflow of mercy to others. We start to, we start to, the more we recognize what God has done in us, the more natural it is for us to do it to others. We have a parable. Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is an example that, that you know, the idea, again, get back to the idea of works and faith. That, you know, the Samaritan you know, the, you know, the parable is there's a guy going, going from Jerusalem to Jericho, gets hit by robbers, laying on the side of the road. He's a mess. The Levite and the priest, they, they avoid him, walk around him. The Samaritan comes and takes care of him. The despised Samaritan is the one who shows mercy. And Jesus used that as an example of what we ought to be. We, he just looked, it didn't matter who this man was. He was suffering. And so he met his need. The Apostle 
John says that if we can look upon the misery of others, if we can look upon suffering, if we can look upon the afflicted and not feel something, that's a problem. That's a problem. It might even suggest that there's a, there's a real serious problem. 1 John 3.17 says, Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, meaning refuses to show mercy, how does the love of God abide in him? How can God's love actually be there? If you can do that, if you can look upon someone in need and not respond in some way, that's a problem. It's God's mercy that delivered us from the eternal, unquenchable fires of hell. It's mercy that delivered us from the soul-crushing power of sin. It's mercy that, that, by mercy, that we will be delivered to the everlasting blessing of heaven. All of those are mercies. And the better we understand and appreciate those, the more we want to extend it to others. We should be willing to give as much mercy as we have received. How much is that? It's a lot. Again, we need to be wise. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. But we ought to be willing. Not put any limits on what God might want for us to do in mercy. Do what he wants. He can, he can provide anything you might need. Goes on to say that they shall obtain mercy. Paul was inspired to tell us that we get what we deserve. We usually use this, this verse in the negative, but there are some positive elements to it as well. In Galatians 6, 7 through 10, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We usually stop there and say, you know, you know if, you're, if you do bad things, expect bad things. If you do wrong things, expect bad things to happen. You know, that kind of a thing. But verse 8, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Who's all? Come on, church. Wake up. Everyone, thank you, everyone. Sorry, that was not good. That was not nice. That was not merciful. <laughs> not gracious, at least. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. They're saying that, you know, that we ought to do, be doing good, including showing mercy to, to everyone, but especially to the household of faith, especially to other believers, especially people like, you know, we, we have this need with Arnie. We ought, to be, we ought to be going out of our way to show mercy, to do mercy in these circumstances. If we sow mercy, we will reap mercy. If we show forgiveness, we will reap forgiveness. There's this give and take. Again, we don't do it so that we can get. We do it because we have received. 
I have received mercy, so I give mercy. Oh, by the way, because I've given mercy, I'm going to receive mercy. And then I'm back at the beginning again. If we are merciful to others, and here's the reality, that, that it's not just one way. It's not just God being merciful to us, that we shall receive mercy also from those around us. If I'm merciful to those around me and my need rises up, what can I expect? They might be merciful to me. Matter of fact, God might stir that up within them to be merciful to me. But if you're unmerciful, yeah, I don't care what Artie needs. He can take care of himself. Who do I sound like? I'm not sure who I sound like right there. Stop it. then why would I expect anybody to be merciful to me when my need shows up? Again, we don't do it to receive. We do it because we have received. That's really important. And that Jesus gave us an important concept here on this, on the idea of giving of anything. You know, we typically associate this, this next verse with money, but it's not just about money. It's about anything that we give to God. Read this, read this, listen to this. Maybe you can read it. Luke 6, 37. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. How much? Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If we want a lot of mercy, what should we do? We ought to be given lots of mercy, if we are very, very miserly with our giving of whatever, what should we expect back? A miserly return. I mean, God, the way God operates is, is this reality. God, how much has God given us? Everything. He's given us everything. Being miserly with what God has given you is a lack of faith. Whatever that means. Again, we, we need to be wise. God doesn't want you to empty out your bank account to help Aunt Arnie out. Well, maybe he'd tell you to do that. I don't, I don't believe he would, but that, that'd be weird. But if he, you know, he wants us to be, he wants us to seek him and say, okay, what is reasonable? What is right for me to do in this circumstance? Or whoever else, we got lots of other things going on around. We got lots of things going on in the world that we, we might be inclined to show mercy in regards to. But we, we need to recognize that there is this, 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 equity that God is looking for, that we, we start with what have I received. Based on what I've received, that will help me to better understand why I should give. You know, you know we, we encourage you to give to the church. Why? The church, well, I was going to say the church doesn't need the money. Of course it does. We gotta pay the electric bill, we gotta pay rent, you know, they, occasionally they, they give me some money too. All that stuff's real. Okay, we got all that. But but that's not why we do it. Yeah. We do it because we know you need to do it. Because God has given you everything. And you express your faith in God when you give back to Him. When you give back of, of what he's given to you, whatever, whatever number is yours, when you give that to God, it's an expression of faith saying, God, you've given me so much. 
I wish I could give you more. Be merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The Bible teaches us also that, that being merciful is good for the soul. In Proverbs eleven seventeen, the merciful man does good for his own soul. There's a personal benefit to being merciful. And it also results in happiness a little bit further in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 21. He who despises his neighbor's sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. So often the world wants us to believe that if you want to be happy, you've got to take care of number one. Take care of, take care of Rick. Yeah, a whole church, take care of Rick. No, just kidding. Now we... we but we, we often, you know, even though, you know, I said that in jest, you know, there's a part of it that thinks, hey, you know what, maybe I should be taken care of. But no, you shouldn't. You should be taking care of others. That's what Christ did. He didn't come for himself. You think he would volunteer? Well, he did volunteer, but do you think that, you know, that you know, him coming to this earth was, you know, all for him? No, he got nothing out of that. We need, to, we need to show mercy because we've received mercy. And, and, and here in Micah, we're going to see a verse that God loves mercy. In, in Micah 7, 18, um, who, is like, who is a God like you, a pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. It, it, he loves mercy. It makes, it makes God happy to show mercy. And there's a connection to that. Anything that makes God happy ought to make us happy as well, right? Does that make sense? If, if, if being merciful is a delight to God, then I need to develop that delight in my own heart. I need to allow that to grow and to flourish in my own heart so that I delight in mercy, so that I, I, I wake up in the morning and say, God, how can I be merciful to someone today? Put somebody in my path that I can be merciful to. And the ultimate expression of that mercy will be when Jesus comes back. He's gonna come back. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody will come quickly, Lord Jesus, all, any, whatever you wanna say there. He's gonna come back. And he's going to take his people with him. And then, then the end of this verse in Matthew 5, 7 will be fulfilled completely. They shall obtain mercy. Now, I, I can't tell you what that means in heaven. I don't know what that means in heaven. All I do know for sure, it will be glorious. And I look forward to it. Be merciful. First thing is, as in all of the, the Beatitudes, can we just do acts of mercy? Can, can we, like this Arnie thing, can we just do that even though we may not feel anything? Yes, you can. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with doing acts of mercy that you don't feel merciful about. Just do them. Because God might stir something up inside of you. He might stir that gift of compassion, that gift of mercy within you. But what we should be doing is asking God to stir us up to be merciful. Now, we can, we can just mechanically do those things, 
But ultimately, the way all of the Beatitudes work is they're not about what we do. It's about who we are. And if we aren't what these Beatitudes say, then it means we probably need to do some of the things that help us to be what it's calling us to be. Now, we read the Bible. Why do we read the Bible? I want to read the Bible so that I can know God better. I read, him, I read it so that I can know him better, and if I know him better, then his traits are going to start to, you know, come out of me more as I understand who he is and how he's related to me and what he's done with me and for me, he's doing in the world. All of those things treat me, teach me about who he is and, and his love for me and his grace and his mercy. The mercy is poured out on me. And I, like, I just like, like I'm blown away by it more and more. And that causes a response from me. I pray for the same reason. I don't pray so that God will do something. I pray so that I can interact with the heart of God I want to talk to God. He's my loving Father in heaven. I want to talk to him. And as I talk to him, he talks back. And he does stuff inside of me. When I serve, there's something happening. I don't serve so that people, you know, can see me and do whatever they're going to do out of it. I don't, I don't serve for you. Sorry. I serve because I was created to serve. I was created to do these things. And by doing these things, I'm honoring and glorifying the God who created me the way that I am. You benefit from it, I hope. But I don't do it for you. I'm doing it for him. You are just, you are just the recipient of God's grace and mercy poured out through me. And that's true of anyone who serves. We serve so that God's grace can be manifested around, so that God's mercy can be experienced around. Everything we do, these, these things that we can do, we call them disciplines, Christian disciplines. We do them so that we can be Christians. They don't make us Christians, but they help us, they enable us, they facilitate the growing of our faith so that the, the realities of these things like the Beatitudes become more and more present in our lives. Be merciful. If I would, I would say one thing to you today. You know, mercy, you know, the greatest mercy that we've experienced was the forgiveness of sins. And we're gonna, next week, you know, Friday and Saturday, Friday and Sunday, not Saturday, we're gonna talk about what it cost God for that. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about the sacrifice that was given so that we could experience God's mercy. But you gotta spend some time and remind yourself how radical it is that God forgave you. And then search your heart. Is there anyone in your life that needs to know God's forgiveness or need to know your forgiveness? And if there is, do that work with God this week. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, we come. We thank you so much that you were merciful to us. And as we have taken this time today and we spent this time in your word to look at what it means to be merciful, well, we could have spent, we could spend many, many, many more hours talking about this, this particular topic. The few minutes we did spend on it, Lord, we're asking, Lord, that you would, you would minister to to each of our hearts what we need to receive 
the first thing, Lord, of anything that we might, we might acknowledge here is that we are forgiven. You didn't have to do that. You looked down from heaven and saw how miserable we were, wallowing in our sin, and as, a, as a, a radical expression of mercy, you stirred us to faith that we might receive Christ and receive the forgiveness of our sins. And then you call us to be conduits of that mercy to others. And we do it through forgiving them. And so I pray, Lord, if, if there's anyone here that's struggling with that, the act of forgiving another, that, Lord, did you do something in their hearts right now, that you would give them your love and you'd stir up the faith to call them to that act of faith and obedience. And, Lord, whatever other way that we might show mercy to someone, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see it and do it. And, Lord, if there's anyone here or anyone watching online who's not received the forgiveness of sins, not taking that step of faith, that you'd stir up their hearts right this moment and help them to believe and help them to humble their hearts before you, repenting of their sins and receiving the, the, the atoning sacrifice, the, the grace of God poured out to them so that they might experience the mercy of God and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. I thank you for this, your people. I pray for your blessing over them. And I pray, Lord, God, you put on each of our hearts someone who needs to know Jesus this week and that they would invite him to come, them to come, and to hear the gospel message next weekend. We love you. We praise you. We lift them up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. <music>